Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone this morning. So glad that you could uh, join us this morning. My name's Ryan. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I did see uh, quite a few new faces this morning. And so glad that you could be here uh, worshiping with us. And um, so if, it's, if this is your first time uh, with the Parks Church, um, just uh, let me just say uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you for uh, trusting us enough to come and gather uh, for worship with us. We are, again, so grateful that you're with us this morning. And um, it's our practice here at the Parks Church to uh, just work our way through books of the Bible. So we're in the early stages of a study in the book of Daniel. And uh, so that's what you heard read uh, from chapter 2 by Paul. We're going to continue uh, in that this morning. And um, but before we uh, just jump right into uh, that text, um, just uh, want to periodically uh, remind us all and, and uh, make us kind of uh, bring to light uh, what it is that we're all about, what we're striving to do here. And um, the, the gathering of this, this body, the, the body of Christ, is in order to go out into the world. And that, that song that we declared of God is so good and His love for us is what we're called to go out into the world to do and to declare and to proclaim and to illustrate and demonstrate with our lives. And so as we come together on Sunday mornings, the purpose of coming together on Sunday mornings is so that we can be equipped, so that we can be strengthened, so that we can then go out into the world and reflect God's love to everyone that we encounter. And so, um, but perhaps... Uh, you're with us this morning. Again, I see so many uh, new faces and, and even some perhaps that have been here for a while. And uh, you wonder what it is that why we sing the way we sing, what it is that we're all about, what is, what's the purpose of a church or the church. And um, I just want to uh, acknowledge and let you know we're, we're glad that you're here. Um, even if you find it perhaps confusing or a little bit strange, some of our practices, um, we should look strange to the world because we're not of this world. Um, that's what the Christian is. But the reason that we do all that we do, the reason that we sing and that we praise God is because we acknowledge that without Him, absent of His love for us displayed through Christ, we would have nothing. We would be absent of any hope or any joy. And so um, what you see expressed here um, is simply a response to what Christ has done in our lives. And if, that, if that, you find that curious, um, we want to just encourage you and love you and, and, and uh, paint a picture for you of what it looks like to follow Christ. And so that's what we're here to do. Um, this week, uh, this weekend, we had an opportunity, a great number of us, we had our couples retreat. Um, it was such a blessing to be able to gather um, just as couples. Uh, kids, we love you, but it's great for mom and dad to be able to get away just for a few hours even uh, for about uh, 15 or 18 hours just kind of away and uh, to be able to spend some time together. And um, one of the things that we uh, really that just I took away from that and I'll just share as a testimony is just a reminder of the new creation. You know, there is so much sin and so much baggage and so many things that uh, are in our lives. And whether you're married or unmarried, that's true of us. <laughs> we uh, are, are, are a broken and sinful people. And the redemption that we have, we, we read this verse and heard it spoken over us that um, we are a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17. A new creation. And that new creation, the new life that I lead, is not 
from myself, but it's a gift from God. And again, coming back to why we gather, why we worship, and why we sing, is we're acknowledging that we are new. And so I just want to uh, um, just praise God for the great weekend that we have and uh, we had. Um, acknowledge uh, our leaders that put that on for us, the Stones and the Garretts and the Coxes who kind of put all of the work into making that weekend possible for us. And even our speakers are here with us this morning. Vic and Monique Woodward are here and we're so grateful for you, Vic and Monique. Thank you for worshiping with us. But just a great time. And uh, um, if, so if you missed out on that this, this weekend, um, maybe find a couple and there's some things that they can maybe encourage you and sort of watch with you, grab a cup of coffee, grab lunch after church, and, uh, and talk with them about that um, and share uh, what God did through this weekend. Now, jumping back to Daniel chapter 2. If you haven't been with us, or just as a way of reminder, because I know if you're like me, perhaps if you sleep more than a couple days, you forget what you heard or what you were uh, taught. Um, and so I have to go back, even as I'm preparing these messages, to remember what, what was it that I said last week. And so um, as a reminder, in chapter one, over the first two weeks of this study, what we really were seeing is, is Daniel, the people of God, are in their homeland, and this king, Nebuchadnezzar, comes and takes all of the people of God captive, brings them back to Babylon, and removes them from the promised land, takes them to Babylon, and they are in exile. They're not in their homeland. And Daniel, the, the one who this book is named after and, and, and can sometimes seem like the main character, although we know that God is the main character of all books of the Bible and the entire Bible itself. But it can seem as we see Daniel and his friends dealing with all of the kind of circumstances that they find themselves in as they are in exile. And one of the things that we talked about over and over again over the first two weeks is that we have to remember and, and for us to, to sort of rightly see this text, to rightly understand what God is saying to us, and even to apply it to our lives, one of the first things that we have to acknowledge or sort of come to a place of understanding is that we too are in exile. This is not our home. This is not where we uh, are, are, are find our permanent residence. We are just passers through, people wandering along, and this is our temporary home. And when we rightly understand our position as exiles, then we don't do all of the things that we might find ourselves tempted to do to sort of build anchors and build firm grips around this world and this life, but we can remember that there is a future kingdom of God, that that, that, that is within that kingdom is where we find our residence. Guess what? When we sing and we talk about that we are princes and princes of the kingdom of God, when we talk and say that we are sons and daughters of the kingdom of God, of, of God all of that is in reference to that true identity of the Christian today. We, we are not sons and daughters if we make this place our home, if this is our residence. We are sons and daughters. We are prince and princesses, co-heirs with Christ of the kingdom of God. That is who we are. And when we rightly understand that identity, then all of the things that kind of the trappings of this world and the distractions of this world and the shiny objects that kind of capture our attention and we want to put our arms around and kind of bring close to us, those idols... Those things that, that, that try to take the place of God, they're going to fall away. But we have to remember first that we are exiles. The other point of this uh, that we, we saw in chapter 1 is that, that God is sovereign over all of these things. If you remember all throughout chapter 1, it says that God gave. God gave the Israelites into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. 
God gave Daniel the strength to stand and kind of say, no, I'm not going to eat this food. God gave. God gave. Those two words are found all throughout chapter 1 in reference to the actions of the people of God or what was happening to the people of God. God is sovereign over all of these things. And God's sovereignty is so critical to our faith. See, if we forget or we don't really understand that God is sovereign, we miss all so many aspects of who he is. That's part of his identity, part of his nature. And ultimately, if God is not sovereign, he can't be God. Just imagine if we said to ourselves that if we, you know, it's sometimes easier in our own interpretation. We have the American presidency, but kings kind of seem, even though they don't have a lot of power, that just seems like the, the word king seems to have an authority. But if, if, if I said that I was king of a particular land, I'm now king of Melissa. I know that sounds very crazy, but I've declared myself to be king of Melissa. And yet I have to go and ask permission to do something in the kingdom of Melissa that I am now king of, or I have to see if it's okay if this is the way I handle the situation, then am I ultimately king? And I'm not talking about seeking wise counsel. I'm talking about the authority to do whatever it is that I want to do. If I'm king, if I'm ruler, if I am the authority, if I am the sovereign, king is connected to the word of being the sovereign over something. If I am the sovereign over this little city, then I have ultimate authority. And so if God is God, he must be sovereign. He is, and he is God. And we're going to see that really in full force today within the text of Daniel chapter 2. So in these first verses that Paul read for us, we heard about Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Ultimately, this dream that he has, we, don't, we didn't hear what it was all about. He's asking these interpreters, but it's giving him insomnia. Some of you have suffered from insomnia. Some of you, my wife would say she has insomnia related to me because of snoring or something to that effect. I disagree. I don't know what that's from. But anyhow, but if you've had insomnia or if you've ever had sleep deprivation, and there's been some times in my life where I've been sort of intentionally brought through some sleep deprivation or had some situations where I just was awake for a long time, you know that your mind, I mean, you just sort of lose all control and all of the, 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 the flesh just sort of, sort of rages when you're exhausted and you're that tired. And so you can imagine King Nebuchadnezzar, he's having this dream over and over and over again, and it says that it took his sleep from him. And so he couldn't sleep, and so he is extremely extremely frustrated by this dream. And so he wants to, the, to have all of his sorcerers and the uh, Chaldeans to come and tell him, what does this dream mean? But in order for them to tell him, he doesn't want to describe the dream for them because he's worried, well, if I describe the dream to them, then they will be able to come up with their own interpretation. And of course, how is Nebuchadnezzar to disagree with them at that point? They could have said anything they wanted. And so his test for their supposed wisdom, for their, you know, all the things that they're able to do was you've got to tell me the dream and its interpretation. You can't just tell me how to interpret this dream, but tell me the dream and the interpretation. Have you ever had a dream? And you maybe have told a friend and you've wondered what it means, what it could, what it, what it, is it, does it have some big meaning to it? Nebuchadnezzar is frustrated and he wants to understand what is this dream. But one of the critical verses that we see in chapter 2 is verse 11. In chapter 2, verse 11, it says that the, the people in response to the King Nebuchadnezzar's request, hey, tell me the dream and tell me how to interpret it. They say, the king, this thing that the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with the flesh. In that little verse we see, and now it's a small g gods, 
That's not the God of the universe, but they're referencing this idea that this is beyond them. This is something that they're not capable of doing. And ultimately, they point to the reality that they are not in the power seat. They don't have the control over the world that they have purported to have. How, there's no telling how many times that Nebuchadnezzar had gone to them and asked them how he should handle this situation or what he should be doing or what might be happening over here. And they have tried to predict the future or given them some sort of wisdom and spoken whatever lies or, you know, kind of information to Nebuchadnezzar before. And so they'd become, in some senses, a trusted advisor for him. That's why he wanted them. He brought them all before him to tell him this dream. They thought, he thought, surely if there was somebody that could interpret it, it was them. But ultimately, they say that this is an impossible thing to do. Now, just remember this idea of God's sovereignty. See, here's King Nebuchadnezzar. And as we talked about in chapter 1, he had the power to go in to Israel, to take all of Israel captive, to go into Egypt and capture Pharaoh and take Egypt captive, to build this worldly kingdom to himself. He had the authority, he had the military might, he had the power to do all these things. He had the power here within his kingdom to say, I need you to come and tell me my dreams and tell me my dreams and then interpret those dreams for me. He had all of this power and yet he was completely weak. Notice, all it took was some dreams to drive this man crazy. Some dreams to cause, to, to reveal his weakness. Nebuchadnezzar was weak and powerless despite all of the earthly power that he seemed to have amassed to himself. And we look around, and very often one of the, hard, the, re, the, one of the reasons that our lives can be complicated, we can find challenges, is that we forget the limitations of all of the earthly powers around us. We give them too much credit. We think to ourselves, well, in this relationship, if this goes south or if this goes sideways or something goes wrong here, then my whole world will crumble underneath the weight of that. Or we think to ourselves, if something goes sideways with this job, how am I going to live? How am I going to provide? How am I going to sustain myself? And we put so much weight around the job. We think all manner of things. We give them power people power. We think in maybe social relationships amongst friendships. Well, if I say the hard thing to this friend, then that could cause some sort of a breakdown in the relationship. And then what might happen to me? Am I going to be left on the outside? Students, we think if I don't give in and follow the ways of the world, if I don't do all of the things that I see everyone around me, if I stand firm in my convictions and what I know to be true, then I'm going to lose everything. I'm going to lose my friendships. I'm going to lose my place on the team. I'm going to lose whatever it might be. If I don't go to this event or that event, I don't participate in this organization or that organization, all of these things, they look like they have power over our lives. And we say to ourselves and we believe in our minds that if we do this or don't do these things, then our lives might crumble. You've heard of fear of missing out? I know that's a meme or something. What are they, you know, something they put on the, with words in a picture. I know I sound really smart right there. Just don't take that and like cut that from the text and just paste that on. Hey, there's my pastor. Yeah. So, Anyway, I got distracted. But this idea of if I'm not a part 
of everything that's going on in the world. Everything that's going on in the world. My life might crumble. What, could, what, what might be going on that I could be missing out on? All of these things, we put so much weight in the authority that they have, and ultimately those things are powerless over our lives. We have to remember that God is the sovereign. He is the one with total authority. He is the one that sustains our life. He is the one who gives us the calling to live in whatever way he's called us to live. And it's as we're obedient to him, as we pursue him, as we follow him, that we, we, we put our trust in him alone. But Nebuchadnezzar, it seemed like he had all the power in the world. Everything looked like he had total control, but it's shown here all that God had to do was give him a dream. And he went crazy. He went so crazy that he was threatening to kill everyone in his court that had probably been telling him all the things he wanted to hear for years and years and years. God is sovereign. And as people, as Christians, people who are members of the kingdom of God, there is no greater power over our lives. Those little kings, those idols that whisper in our ears and tell us that they have authority and tell us that they're in control and tell us if we don't give in and worship whatever they're calling us to worship, that we're going to lose everything, that we're going to be left out, that we're going to have no joy, that we're going to have no happiness. Guess what those are? They're little gods with no power over the power of God Almighty. We need to remember, we see that here. God is the one who gave Nebuchadnezzar the ability to go in and take Israel captive, and he had a purpose for doing that. He had a purpose for setting up Daniel in the way that he set him up. Ultimately, but God will take it away, and he can give it to another. And that's what we see in this dream. So the king is angry. They can't find anyone that can interpret the dream. And so I'm going to pick up and just continue where Paul left off in verse 12. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out that the wise men were to be killed and they, thought Daniel and his, they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. So Daniel is put on the list to be killed because no one can answer the king's dream. And at this point, Daniel, he isn't aware of exactly what was happening. So he goes to the chief kind of head of this and says, hey, why is... Nebuchadnezzar killing everybody. What's, the, what's going on here? They said, well, he's, got a, he's had a dream and no one can interpret it. And so I'm going to skip ahead. And Daniel says, well, I'll, I'll do it. I'll go to the king and I'll tell him his dream. And so Daniel goes into his home and he begins to pray. I'm going to skip down to verse 17. Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, those of those friends that came with him. He told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. So Daniel is told, God speaks to Daniel, and he tells him this dream. He tells him the dream that he's given to Nebuchadnezzar. The mystery is revealed. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said. And hear this prayer. This is Daniel's prayer of blessing to God for hearing his prayers and asking for help. He said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. 
He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and you have now made known to me what we asked of you for you have made known to us the king's matters. Daniel prays and he confesses that God is the one who is sovereign. God is the one who removes kings and sets up kings. God is the one who gives wisdom. And so then we see the dream play out for us. Daniel goes to Nebuchadnezzar and says, I'll interpret the dream for you. I'll tell you what it is that happened, what the dream looked like. And so in 31, he tells Nebuchadnezzar, he's standing before Nebuchadnezzar and he tells him this dream that God had given him clarity over in answer to his prayer. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and, and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces." Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So that's the dream. This is the dream. Now we tell the king its interpretation and Daniel's going to go on and interpret this for him. See, God in his sovereignty, gave Daniel clarity, gave him understanding of what this dream was. And then he comes and reveals this to Nebuchadnezzar. He makes him aware. Now, there's been a lot of sermons preached, a lot of studies written related to Daniel. And very much of it gets kind of caught up or focused on the prophetic nature of this book. And there is surely prophecy involved in Daniel. And specifically in this chapter, as we read these, about this statue, the statue that has feet of stone and clay all the way up to a head of gold, much has been written and tried to understand and interpret what is it that this statue is representing. Now Daniel gives the interpretation, and here we'll read that in just a moment of the, these verses. He gives the interpretation of it, but what so often happens is we get really caught up in trying to understand these kingdoms that are represented by these various precious metals. We get caught up in the prophetic word that is offered here. But that's not really the point of this text. That's not the point for us today. Kings and kingdoms, as Daniel said and prayed, they will be set up and taken down by God. What's the point of this message, the point of this text, is that God is sovereign over it all. We must remember and just be aware of the fact that kingdoms will come and go, but there will only be one kingdom that lasts. And that's the kingdom of God. So let's read that in verse 37. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and to whose hands he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heaven, making you rule over all of them, you are the head of gold. 
So he attributes all power, all might to God Almighty and says, God has given you this kingdom that you now possess. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule all over the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like the iron that crushes, it, crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay." And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix to get with one another in marriage. But they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall stand forever." Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. So what they are told, what Nebuchadnezzar is told by Daniel, your kingdom, it will crumble. Notice he said it will be taken over by a kingdom even inferior to his. Kind of a little jab at Nebuchadnezzar. This lesser kingdom is going to come. And you know why that lesser kingdom will be able to come and overtake you, Nebuchadnezzar? Because the God of the universe says that it shall be so. And then after that, another kingdom will come and that kingdom will fall. And then after that, another kingdom and yet another kingdom. And these kingdoms will come and go according to the will of God Almighty. According to the will of the sovereign, the one who has total authority over all. And then in the end, that last kingdom, the kingdom of God, will be set up and it will be established forever and ever and ever. And you and I, we as Christians, are citizens of that kingdom. We say, I think it's, it might, well it was behind me at one point, Daniel flourishing in exile the subtitle of kind of this sermon series why are we flourishing how can we flourish while we are in the midst of exile when this is not our home we can do so because we remember that God is sovereign over the kingdom that we are ultimately residences of and so this kingdom will come and go. Yes, the kingdom that we reside in, America, and all of its power and might will be crushed and crumble and the kingdom of God will, will last forever. This text, he points to this stone, the stone that will crush those feet of iron and clay. And again, we're not concerned about which kingdom that will be. We can study that another time. What's ultimately important is that the stone will come and crush that and bring about this kingdom. And ultimately, Daniel here, the one prophetic word that is really important is he's pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the one who would usher in the kingdom. Jesus is the one who would bring about the kingdom of God. He is the stone that was not formed with human hands, born of a virgin. He is the stone, the chief cornerstone that would come in the very beginning, when he began his ministry in Mark, if you remember our study in Mark just a number of months ago, he said, I have come 
to declare the kingdom of God is at hand, to usher in his kingdom. When Jesus began his ministry proclaiming that the kingdom of God was at hand, he called the world and everyone around him to repentance. In John chapter 18, he said that his kingdom, not formed with human hands, was not of this world, John 18, 36. And so he went about doing all the miracles and everything that he did to establish and to show and to demonstrate to the world that his kingdom was not of this world. He brought and ushered in this new kingdom. Ultimately, Jesus would establish the kingdom of God, would say that it has begun, but then he would ascend into heaven. He would go to the cross, he would lay down his life, he would take up his life again, and then he would ascend into heaven to sit at the right hand of God, it says in Acts chapter 2. But guess what he promised? He promised that he would return. He promised that one day he would finish what he began. See, we live, as you've heard me say perhaps before, in the already but not yet the kingdom of God is at hand. When, when Jesus declared that in Mark chapter 1, it was true. So we live in this already established kingdom of God, but we are waiting. We're waiting for our King, King Jesus, to return and to finish what he started, to call us all to himself and to establish or once and for all consummate the kingdom of God, to bring us to himself. And so when we understand and we realize that is our home. We are citizens of this new kingdom. We are citizens of a kingdom that will not ever perish. We are citizens of a kingdom that all of the kingdoms of this world will be crushed by. How can we live and not have hope? How can we find ourselves submitting and laying down and kind of bowing to those small gods, those small kings, living as if these other kingdoms were our home? these small little kingdoms that we set up for ourselves. And I'm not just talking about our place of residence, by the way. When you hear me say our home, there's a little bit of a, a spiritual component to that. What we, what we declare as our home is where we find our peace, where we find rest, where we find hope. What are those small kingdoms that will ultimately just fade away, that give you hope, that you find yourself needing to have rest, some of us, there's any number of things. I won't even try to list them all because I look around the room. We have, um, there's probably thousands of those little kingdoms that we find ourselves living in. And we need to remember that Jesus came in fulfillment of this prophetic word that we see in Daniel. And he established the kingdom of God. And when we put our faith in him and the finished work, his finished work on the cross, we, are, we become residences of the kingdom of God. That's where our home is. That's where our hope is. It's in Christ alone, as we're about to sing. In Christ alone. So let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to just reveal to us those, those kingdoms that ultimately, in His sovereignty, He will crush. He will strip away. And ask the Lord to give us the strength, the, the hope, to live as citizens of his permanent and everlasting kingdom. Father God, we thank you for this word that is true, your word that tells us that you have established a kingdom, a kingdom that will last 
forever. The kingdom of God. And I pray as we read this story of Daniel, it sounds intriguing and interesting and a a dramatic story. We read of a dream and we see you speaking through Daniel the truth that you establish kings and kingdoms. You set them up and you take them down. But we praise you because there is one kingdom that will last forever and that's your kingdom. So I pray that our, our, our hearts would just be reminded of that this morning. That we would have hope this morning because of the sure knowledge that we are members, we are citizens of your kingdom. And that kingdom will never fail. It will never end. We thank you, God. We thank you for that truth and we we respond now just to worship you, remembering, remembering your work on our behalf, Jesus. It's because you loved us that we have been welcomed into your kingdom. I pray that that would encourage us today. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Every knee will bow, every eye will see. Thanks for listening to the Parks Church of Melissa podcast. We meet at 1030 Sunday mornings at Melissa Middle School, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. The Parks Church, for the city, about a person.